Hello, everyone, and welcome to Quinn Cummings Gives Bad Advice, the podcast where I, Quinn Cummings, give advice to people I do not know. If you're joining us for the first time, you may be asking yourself, does Quinn really want to give me bad advice? And the answer is no, I do not want to give you bad advice. I want to give you good advice. But I have absolutely no qualification to give you any sort of advice at all. I don't have any sort of medical license, financial license, legal license, or artistic license, which is a shame because you can use any photograph you want on your artistic license, and I would like to use a photograph of Elizabeth Bathory. Bad person, fabulous complexion. Anyway, I do not have any sort of license to give people advice. I do have a driver's license, but that is neither my height nor my weight. So you might be asking yourself, will this advice I'm about to give you be good advice? Well, I think the answer is in the title of the podcast. If you want me to give you bad advice, you can leave a question for me at qcbad.com. It's completely anonymous, and better yet, it's completely free. So I can offer up this advice with a 100% money-back guarantee. Okay, what do you say we get started? Dear Quinn, my toxic ex dumped me over a year ago, and I think I'm still in love with him. We haven't been in contact at all, but I can't forget him. Help! I don't think you're in love. I mean, you might be. There might be some heady blend of a terrible father mixed with some wiring issues, which makes you only feel the bonding hormones with people you describe as toxic. But I'm sticking with my earlier statement. You aren't in love. You're in sunk cost fallacy. If you aren't the behavior economic stan that I am, here's a good definition I found on the intertubes. Individuals commit the sunk cost fallacy when they continue a behavior or endeavor as a result of previously invested resources, time, money, or effort. To paraphrase, first you liked him a little, and then a lot, and each time he treated you terribly, you rationalized it until one magical day he left you. And the answer that you have right now is all of that pain was for nothing. And that can't be right. So some part of your brain keeps turning that relationship over and over because it's a puzzle. How did you get involved with such a toxic sinkhole? And then in moments of weakness, your brain tells you, we should go back. We could do it differently this time. Then all that time and pain that I spent would mean something. Wouldn't that be nice? No, that wouldn't be nice, and neither is he. I suspect this is all just to try to get it to end better, to give it meaning. See, you think at 3 a.m., I'd know how to handle him now, and I wouldn't let him know my ATM pin, and we'd work it out, and this time he wouldn't break up with me, because I'm smarter now. You might be, and God knows women are designed by this culture to love a makeover montage, but I promise you he has not changed. He has no reason to change. If he was going to change his behavior to get you back, he would have changed his behavior to keep you. The simplest way to describe the sunk cost fallacy is, I went to an all-you-can-eat buffet and now I'm throwing up because I ate seven pounds of ham. 
He's seven pounds of ham that has been sitting out in the sun all day. This was an experiment. You ran it. Your data is sound. There is no need to run it again. This came from QC Bad. Dear Quinn, I'm 18 and currently away from home for the first time. I've been diagnosed with depression, but it's always been manageable. A few days ago, out of nowhere, it got really bad and I ended up self-harming and leaving visible scars on my forearms. I know, I know, it was stupid, but it was the only way I could think of in the moment to feel better. My question is, how do I address this when I go back to my parents? I'm super close with my moms, and I'm worried it will break their hearts. I don't want to lie to them. Do I just hope they won't notice? If I decide to tell them, how do I do it so they don't worry about me too much? I'm going to give you a little window into my life. Uh, We finished the next answers this morning, and I got this through QC Bad tonight, and I said we're going back into the studio because we have to answer this one. Um, You're going to tell your moms because you're sick. You have an illness. Depression is an illness. I don't know how you've been managing it, but it's not working anymore. Maybe it did work at some point. Things like that can get worse when you get away from home. As much as it's fun to be out on your own making your own choices, you can feel more vulnerable. The demons can start taking over the joint. And yeah, you say that just happened the once. The hardest time to do anything that is forbidden is the first time. I fear you're going to do this again. I'm now going to speak to you as a mother and as someone who has lived with depression. It is not the adult thing to suck it up and hold it in. Adults ask for help. You need help. Yeah, your moms are going to be worried and heartsick and everything else. They're probably going to cry. Get over it. That's what moms do. But they're going to help you get the help you need. If it's hard to have this conversation with them, I understand. Maybe you write it out as an email. Maybe you tell a close friend of the family who does the original conversation with them. If part of what is bothering you is the thought of their faces when they're told this, create a way for them to know where you don't see that. But they must know because you must get help. You know you have to get help. That's why you wrote to me. I'm just a stranger on the Internet. But please, right now, figure out who's going to help you tell your parents. And then do it. Dear Quinn, I have a great job. I work from home most of the week, and I'm in the office for a total of one full day, spread out over several days for meetings. We're a teeny tiny organization, and my dedicated work desk is at an office shared by all the departments. Most of my co-workers are women, 
but there's one guy who has similar hours to me and is in the shared office area at the same time as me every week. And every week, he greets me with a shortened version of my name that I never, ever go by because I hate it. Along the lines of Kristen being shortened to Chrissy, or in your case, Gwen being shortened to just Q. I know I just need to say, hey, I prefer to be called my name, but I'm also a shy introvert that can sometimes have a lot of trouble with the awkward. What do I do? This guy is either one of those friendly frat bros who is baselessly convinced every relationship should be just a touch more bro, or he's playing some airport Marriott weekend conference find your inner Machiavelli head game. Either way, as one introvert to another, this is an easy fix. Send him an email explaining that you don't want to embarrass him or take up valuable time in the office, but your given name is the name you prefer. This solves two problems. First, it means you can avoid conflict, and God knows we introverts do love a good conflict avoided. Second, if this is some really banal power move, you now have a written record of you establishing boundaries. Either way, don't apologize in the email for bringing this to his attention. He screwed up, not you. Women apologize too damn much. Dear Quinn, I love my husband of 12 years. He's 45, I'm 55. We're a monogamous gay couple, but our sex life has fizzled out. I've tried planning romantic dates. I've broached the subject and let him know our physical life is very important to me. I'm not getting much back in terms of communication. Everything else is perfect. We love being together. I need bad advice. I think there are two questions here. How do you feel about a fizzled sex life? How does your husband feel about it? It sounds to me as if you're doing the bulk of the work to get your sex life, you should pardon the expression, up and running again, and he's doing the... I understand intellectually what you're saying and will certainly enjoy this lovely candlelit dinner with the man I love, but carnally, I'm still feeling meh, and I'm feeling no great impulse to change that. You've broached the subject. You've explained it means a great deal to you. And what are you getting back? Let me quote you. Not much in terms of communication. Let's assume something is going on with your husband and he might either be unwilling or unable to explain what it is. Here are some thoughts off the top of my head. One, health issues. An erection might not be an automatic guest at the table right now. Don't assume that just because he's younger than you that stuff can't find him health-wise. That can be pretty alarming, and any woman who's ever loved a man will tell you the more a health situation scares them, the less the loved ones will hear about it. Two, could he be depressed? Remember, depression isn't just sighing and staring out the window in a picturesque way at the rain, no matter what Big Pharma puts in their commercials. Especially for men, depression can look like shortness of temper or irritability, and one of the big side effects can be a huge, wet, itchy blanket on the libido. Three, speaking of side effects, he's over 40. Maybe his doctor put him on a preventative medicine like a statin? They can diminish libido. It could be intimations of mortality or frustration at work or any of 25 other things which I could bore you and everyone else listening right now. But here's the problem as I see it. 
he's not treating it like a problem. If he felt the same loss of intimacy and a longing to reignite it that you do, you wouldn't have written. Only one of you thinks this is a high-priority problem. Sexual desires will certainly change over the lifespan of good relationship, but communication should improve out of practice, if nothing else. You are well within your rights to make a really nice dinner, light some candles, and say to him, I'm worried about these changes. I want you to have a full medical workup, and if nothing is wrong, I want us to see a sex therapist. If he loves you, he will respect that this is important to you. If he doesn't do this, I'm not saying he doesn't love you, but I think you should find a therapist for yourself to figure out how to manage these very different expectations of what your marriage is. Good luck. Let me know how it works out. Hi, Quinn. Your podcasts have helped me keep my sanity this week while I am stuck face down recovering from eye surgery. I've never listened to podcasts before. Can you recommend others that are worthwhile? I tried searching online, but it is overwhelming, especially with limited vision. Thanks for any tips. You could spend the rest of your life listening to great podcasts. When your eyes are better, I want you to sign up for Stitcher. S-T-I-T-C-H-E-R. Because what they do really well is organize them. By the way, they're not paying me for this. Uh, They don't know I exist. But they organize them really well. So you can look and think, all right, I like history or I want to do women's issues or fashion. And they'll show you. And they also do really great promos so you can get a sense of what it would sound like. But right now, you can't do that. Got it. Um, Here are some I'm loving right now. First of all, you always have to have WTF long-form interviews with Mark Marin, RuPaul, who also does long-form interviews. Uh, Splendid Table is great for cooking. The greatly titled Death, Sex, and Money is kind of fun because it's always about one of those three topics. Uh, Lore, L-O-R-E, is spooky stories. And Ologies, O-L-O-G-I-E-S, every podcast this woman interviews an expert in something. That'll get you started. By the time you've gone through some of those, your eyes will be working, you will be scrolling through Stitcher, you will be adding podcasts, and you will be very happy. Have fun. Dear Quinn, I am discovering more and more of my family members are rabid MAGA people. We are regionally widespread, so we interact mostly on social media. The fact that I am essentially learning that huge amounts of relatives are members of Trump's racist cult just make me sick. These are good people that I love dearly, but I just want to cut them off every time they share some disgusting pro-Trump garbage. How do I and should I compartmentalize this aspect of their personality? First of all, I want you to read Mistakes Were Made But Not By Me, Why We Justify Foolish Beliefs, Bad Decisions, and Hurtful Acts. It will explain to you that as it gets worse, they're going to cling more tightly because that's coming. Um, Concrete suggestions. Mute them on social media. There may be no benefit right now to seeing a picture of your niece's fourth-grade graduation or your second cousin's fourth-grade graduation if the other 98% of their feed gives you a stomachache. Um. You say they're good people. 
I understand that you believe that. But at this point, if you are tying yourself to people who are laughing at pictures of a father and his infant daughter drowned in the Rio Grande, they may be they may have been good people. They may be good people again. But right now they're dangerous. There's an indifference to human suffering that I don't associate with good people. I say mute them. Okay, I think that's enough bad advice for today. And remember, I can't give you bad advice if you don't ask for it. Your question doesn't have to be profound, complex, or emotionally demanding. It can be about pretty much anything because, let's face it, I am unqualified to offer advice across a wide range of subject matter. And as we all know, sometimes the nuttiest question gets the best bad advice. You can reach me on Twitter, at Quincy. That's Q-U-I-N-N-C-Y at Twitter.com. Or you can post a question to qcbad.com. Just log into letter Q, letter C, B-A-D.com, and there's a question form right there. The question can be any length, but I'm finding they work better if they're shorter. Just a hint. Before I go, I'd like to thank Richard Emmett, who composed my groovy music, and Keith Greenstein, who designed my groovy logo. People have already started asking me how they can get a Bad Advice Fork in a Toaster t-shirt or coffee mug, and my answer to them is, hang in there, we are working on it. I also want to thank Phil Rohr and Prime Rib Productions for making it possible for you to hear any of this. Okay, that's enough for now. Keep those questions coming, and I'll see you all next time.